0: This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. It is a blessing to be here with you this morning. Um, thankful for all the songs and the prayers uh, that were made uh, this morning. It, it's, just a, it's been a great worship service. It really has been uplifting and and edifying, and I hope that you feel that same way. And I hope that continues as we study the Word of God. You know, this morning I want to talk to you about the evidence of God. As we survey the Scriptures, there's really one thing that kind of becomes apparent over the course of time and, and history and the way God has interacted with His people. In every age, God has used mighty displays of His power to confirm His Word. Let me say that again. In every age, God has used mighty displays of His power to confirm His Word. Um, now, I have to give credit to Pat for, for helping me realize this. He mentioned this in a study. He made the comment, and, and it got, really got me thinking. And, and I realized how, how true that was, just thinking about the different stories and the accounts that we find in the Scriptures. But really, that comment left me with some really big, lingering questions that were somewhat troubling and so what I want to do this morning uh, is walk through the pages of the scriptures to see somewhat of a history of God proving his word through these great mighty acts, uh, these various types of miracles. And this, this will lead us to those big questions that I had that are important for you and I to have an answer to. And the, the, there is an answer to, for these questions in the scriptures. So I want to lead us up to that. Uh, so let's begin with the creation, the very beginning of, of all things, in hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 the bible says through faith we understand that the worlds were made or framed by the word of god so that things which are seen were made of things which uh things which are seen were not made of things which do appear and so the creation itself stands as a testimony to the as as evidence of the word of god the word of god is what created all things and it says here we understand that through his word the worlds were framed all the physical things that we can see and, and that are in existence come from an eternal source that we cannot see in our current state. That's what the scriptures teach us. And so God's eternal power is displayed through his creation. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes that and says that very same thing. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world excuse me, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. As he describes humanity and and the things that God has revealed to humanity and shows us through his creation, he says, really, humanity is without excuse. We can look to to the creation and it confirms to us the eternal power of God. And so every physical thing, down from the atomic level up to the vast expanse of the universe, is created by an eternal spiritual power. So the things that are seen come from a source that is unseen by us. Um, and so if we were just to take the creation by itself, that alone would be enough to, to prove to us that there is a creator. As you can see, the apparent design of the universe and our solar system and our ecosystem, the seasons that we experience, all of the things that occur in this, in this, uh, in this world us ourselves as humans our our bodies are very finely tuned and created uh, to display this intelligence you know all the animals all the plant life bugs cells dna everything has an apparent design and in each system all the parts are necessary and purposeful and it shows intention it shows intelligence and so the creation itself is a testimony of the great power of god's word in fact in psalm uh psalm 19 verses 1 through 3 it says the heavens declare the glory of god and the firmament showeth his handiwork this was all purposefully created by our creator day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard so every person uh, on the planet is without excuse it says to understand that there is a source for all the things that we see that are created there's no speech nor language Uh, the creation of God as a testimony of his power surpasses all language and 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 doesn't matter where you are in the world you will be able to understand and see if you have a a true heart to see that there is a creator that has made all these things um and so the creation is a powerful testimony of the word of God and it confirms to us his his word if there's a creation there's a Creator. And if that's the case, then we can trust the source of knowledge that we have in our hands from that creator, the same one that created the, the, the worlds. As we go on through time and through history, we see the story of the scriptures uh, focusing on the children of Israel as God's people in the days of the Old Testament. Now, in the days of the Old Testament, God clearly proved himself to the Israelites and showed them with many wonderful things as he as He led them through, uh, away from Egypt rather, saved them from that slavery, led them through the wandering of the wilderness on their way towards the promised land, and then brought them into that land and protected them from their enemies and and gave them all kinds of blessings. And God recounts this to Moses as he describes what he's done for the Israelites when we get to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Beginning in verse 2, he says, And you know this day, for I speak not with your children which have not known, and which have not seen the chastisement of the lord your god his greatness his mighty hand his stretched out arm and his miracles and his acts which he did in the midst of egypt unto pharaoh the king of egypt and unto all this land or unto all his land and what he did unto the army of egypt and to their horses and to their chariots how he made the water of the red sea to overflow them as they pursued after you and how the lord hath destroyed them unto this day and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place And what he did unto Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the sons of Reuben, how the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up and their households. So uh, God here is is recounting all of these events. Now, he starts with what he did for them in, in the Exodus, all the ten plagues that he brought upon Pharaoh and his people and the leading of the Israelites out, the parting of the Red Sea. They safely crossed. When the Israelites tried to pass, God closed the waters upon them. And then as he led them to the, to the wilderness, he showed many other things. Uh, and, and sometimes these were mighty acts that were uh, negative for those who were experiencing it as, a, as a punishment, but he showed judgment when, he, when the sons Dathan and, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, tried to, uh, they tried to uh, come against Aaron and Moses and tried to uh, usurp their authority. And so God punished them, and the ground opened up and swallowed them up in their households, it says. And it continues on. He says, And their tents and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of Israel. But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord, which he did. Therefore, shall you keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land, whether you go to possess it. So God recounts to Moses all of these various acts. And he says the reason that that really we can see here, the reason that God is recounting these miracles is so that they would keep the commandments, keep the word of God. He reminds them of all this great list of things that God has done for them. And he says, therefore, shall you keep the commandments? God was proving his, his will and his power to the Israelites and confirming his word to them through these wonderful acts. And so they're meant to, to confirm to the people of God that he is the one that they should be following. So it does that for, for those who are faithful. Now, it also has uh, an effect on those who are outside of the people of God people of the people of god will see those great mighty acts and they did in the time of israelites as they went around and wandered through the, the wilderness people noticed what god did to the egyptians and that terrified many nations and and he, the, he, people saw and the nations around them saw as god led them through the wilderness that any enemies that would rise up against them god would handily take care of that for them and they would conquer these nations as they went about wandering in the wilderness And the nations were scared. And we know this because when it came time for the Israelites to finally conquer the land, Joshua sends spies into the land and and he sends some scouts in and they encounter a a harlot named Rahab. And this is what she says. She says unto the men in Joshua chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you for we have heard how the lord dried up the water of the red sea for you when you came out of egypt and what you did to the two kings of the amorites that were on the other side of jordan sihon and og whom you utterly destroyed as soon as we heard these things our hearts did melt neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you for the lord your god he is god in heaven above and in earth beneath what a what a wonderful testimony from this harlot this harlot of canaan These spies come and she says, we're terrified because we've seen the mighty acts that God has done on your behalf for you and through you. And, and it produced faith in her. She said the only thing she was compelled to believe. And she says, we know now because we've seen these great things that your Lord, he is God. He is God in heaven above and the earth beneath. They were compelled because of those mighty acts that they saw done for and through his people. So, it has that effect. Not only does it convince the believers to believe even more, it convinces non-believers to believe, and and that's surely the case. Another example of that is we kind of think about you know there's a lot we could point to and look to. Uh, There's another uh, account in the days of Israel as you kind of go on through their history, the days of Elijah. Elijah was a great and mighty prophet, and he. In this account that we're going to read a section of, he makes a challenge to the prophets and the priest of Baal. Baal is an, is an idol that the Canaanites or the Philistines worship. And, and so he puts down this challenge and he says, uh, Let's find out who the true God is. And this was a the challenge. They were going to build an altar. And they were going to do it, build it however they needed to build it. And they were going to make their sacrifices and lay it upon the altar. And they would both lay their sacrifices there. And whoever's sacrifice was consumed by the fire was a sign that their God was accepting their worship and he was the true God. And so they set up their altars. The priests gathered together and probably a whole crowd of people gathered together to witness and to see which God is the true God. This is the challenge that he sets before them. And so the priests, they make their sacrifice, the priests of Baal, nothing happens. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And it's kind of funny sometimes to see the humor that we find in the scriptures that's uh, placed there, but Elijah kind of begins to get sarcastic with them. <coughs> well, maybe he's asleep. Maybe your God is asleep. Maybe he's busy maybe he went on a vacation, he's on a long trip, and he can't hear you, so he begins to kind of tease him a little bit, and these priests get so upset that nothing is happening, they begin to cut themselves, and throw themselves upon that altar, and just kind of shows us the insanity of sin, and what it leads us to do in in service to these idols, but uh, so nothing happens, and so then Elijah's turn comes, and when he builds his altar, he soaks his wood in water, I mean, if you've ever tried to light wood that's wet, it doesn't work very well. And so he soaks all the wood in water. Not only that, he cuts out a trench around the altar and he fills that up with water. And so he's making it very impossible for this altar to be lit on fire because he knows and has confidence in the true God that nothing is impossible with God and that he would readily consume that sacrifice because he is the true God. And so that's exactly what takes place before the the sight of these people because he's trying to prove to them who the true god is. And so God consumes this. In 1 Kings 18, beginning in verse 36, it says, "And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I thy servant, that I'm thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God." that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So this great mighty miracle convinced and showed and proved that Elijah was a follower of God. And that he that God is the true God and and these people were compelled to fall on their faces and and to believe in God and to worship him so it has that effect and we see that same thing and 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 that's really kind of the pattern we see it affects the believers and it affects the non-believers when we see these great mighty acts that confirm the word of God now we move on into the New Testament and we come to Christ Jesus Christ himself is a testimony of the great and wonderful power of God and evidence of the power and, and the holiness of the eternal God. And in Colossians 1 verse 15, speaking of Christ, it says he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn, the firstborn of every creature. So Jesus himself is a representation, a manifestation of God in the flesh, and he is evidence of God's word and God's power. And the work that he came to do in this world to Uh, teach about salvation to bring back the people of israel to to god and to make them repent and then to offer salvation to all the world all of these works that he came to do were were confirmed to us through miracles jesus says in john five thirty six, i have greater witness than than that of john for the works which the father hath given me to finish the same works that i do bear witness of me that the father has sent me So all the miracles that we see Christ do, the raising of the dead, the the healing of the lame, the healing of the blind, healing diseases, so many wonderful, uh, incredible things that Jesus did simply by speaking to them and telling them, you are whole, or touching them and and making them cleansed or whole. And greater than that, when he looks at one and and heals him, but then says, your sins are forgiven you. All these things that Jesus did, meant to confirm him as the son of god and to show us that he was the one that the father sent Uh, in acts chapter 2 verse 22 that's what peter says as he stands before the israelites he says you men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth a man approved of god among you by miracles and wonders and signs which god did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves also know so peter tells those jews gathered on the day of pentecost you saw it for yourself it was confirmation to them that this was the one from God. Um, the great mighty miracles that Jesus did compelled the believers to believe him more and to grow and increase and strengthen in their faith. You think about his, his the, one of the greatest miracles that we see, his death and his resurrection. He died and was buried for three days and then he rose again from the dead. And we see the effect that it had on his disciples when they began to interact with him and see him after his resurrection. We have that account in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 15. The, the women gathered early in the morning to go to the tomb. And they saw that the tomb was opened and they had no idea where the body of Jesus was because he had risen. And Jesus standing there speaking to Mary, he says, woman, why weepest thou? And whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. She thought, if this gardener, if you took him somewhere, tell me where his body is. I'll go and get it. Just, just tell me, and I'll go. And she didn't know she was talking to Jesus. And he said unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. What an incredible or an incredible moment. <clears throat> and you know that made an impact on her faith to see this miracle for herself, the mighty work of God confirming all the words that he said, that he would die and that he would be raised again. And now she knows. And there's no doubt in her mind. <clears throat> it also has an effect on those who, who don't believe or who may not believe yet. In, in John chapter 3, verse 2, we see even people who uh, were very high up in the religious yeah, order of the yeah. Jews coming to him. And, and the same came to Jesus by night, it says in John 3, verse 2. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Now, people could see the miracles and, and knew that this was the Christ, and it caused people to believe of those miracles. John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. And so it produces faith in those who did not previously believe. Two things are consistently true as we see over time. Now, it didn't stop there because Jesus after His resurrection was with His disciples, and then endued them with power from on high, as we see happen in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes and descends upon them, and they begin to to speak in different languages, and it's a great miracle. And then they begin to do more miracles uh, than that to show that these are the ones, the word that they're preaching is confirmed by the word, or by the miracles and the acts that they did. And that's what Peter says to them as they're standing there in Acts chapter 2. They're accused of being drunk, but Peter clears that up to those Jews, and he says in Acts 2.32, This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has sent, has shed forth this which you now see and you hear, the acts and the miracles that the apostles were performing. He says, you now see and hear these things, because this is from God. And those miracles were confirming the word that they were preaching about the salvation that is in Christ. Hebrews 2, 3-4 uh, tells us that. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by them that heard Him? That's speaking of Christ. He began His ministry, and then He gave it to His apostles who were with Him and heard Him. They were eyewitnesses of His majesty and of His glory. He says, God also bearing them witness with both signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. So what a, what a great thing that we see here that the apostles got to carry out. And they were confirmed by many wonderful miracles. In fact, we have an accounting of those in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Just kind of a good summary of what the work that the apostles were doing was. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and, and, and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that, at the least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them who were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. How incredible. How incredible to see this work of the apostles and how wonderful these men who were with christ now begin to teach about his death and his resurrection and begin to invite souls into this kingdom but how can we be sure about what they're teaching well that was must have been the question but god confirmed it to the people who heard them with the great signs and these great acts of of god's power and these great displays of of these of the holy spirit healing people and, and raising the dead even. He confirmed it through miracles. So God's word is confirmed again, as we see here in the age of the apostles, uh, through these great mighty acts. Now that continued to go on. Now the apostles were the ones that had been blessed with this power of the spirit, and they could lay hands on, on a person and impart some of those gifts, whatever God chose to give those people at that time, They could impart some of that power to them, but that was it that stopped with the apostles that person who received that couldn't pass that on But it was essential and necessary for the people in the first century to receive those things So that the church could be built up in the early days They needed that source of knowledge They needed that because they didn't have the written scriptures as we have now in our possession and so they needed miraculous knowledge They needed revelation they needed these things to help them learn how to live and how to act and how to be as the church. And so God describes that for the, for the early church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. It says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And so the purpose of the church having the Spirit was to bring edification to the body of Christ. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. And to another, diverse kinds of tongues or languages. To another, the interpretation of those languages. But all these work, that one and that one the self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So it was totally up to the determination of the Holy Spirit, of, of who would get what ability, and the purpose was so that everyone was contributing as a member of the body of Christ and providing something to help the body of Christ grow. And they needed that because they did not have the scriptures uh, codified the way we have it now here in the pages of the New Testament. And so they had these great, wonderful abilities. And how wonderful, how wonderful would it have been to be a part of that, to, to say, I am a Christian and people might say, well, how do we even know that you're a real Christian? Well, they can see all the great miracles and the wonderful acts that they did. And, and all these wonderful acts were meant to also encourage the church. It was given to the purpose of edifying those who believed, but it was also to convince those who did not believe. In 1 Corinthians 14:22, when we see that, that phrase of the speaking of tongues, the speaking of different languages, that was not a sign to encourage people who already believed in God. But that was a sign to convince people who didn't believe in God. In fact, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 14 22, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which, which believe. And so prophesying, the teaching of the Word of God, would not benefit somebody who doesn't believe. And so the miracle of this of prophecy, this miraculous knowledge, would benefit the, the believers. But the gift of tongues was a miracle that would benefit those who didn't believe and would help convince them and prove to them and show them that these are the disciples of God. They are the people of God following his will, doing and carrying out the instructions and the commandments that we have. And so in that age of of the first century, they were confirmed by miracles. The word of God was confirmed by miracles. But. That was going to end. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10. But when that which is perfect or complete is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now here in this context, Paul is discussing the, the, how these miracles were really just kind of a partial uh, gift for us. It was leading us to the complete revelation. And when that complete revelation was come, then the miracles that only gave us pieces would be done away with. That's really what the scriptures kind of show and teach us here in first corinthians 13 and so that's really kind of what i that's that's where my line of thinking led me to when i thought about that what what pat had said and that that thought that in every age god has used <laughs> miracles to confirm his word i thought but those miracles are done away with now so what about us that was a big lingering question that 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 i had to really think over and think through and you know honestly i've often felt disadvantaged compared to the early church because you look at these wonderful things that the apostles and the 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 christians of the first century did the miracles they had and the ways that they had to show and to convince people the believers and the non-believers that god's that of god's word and to, to to prove to them that they were christians and i thought we can't produce these miracles today so how how are we supposed to do that how are we supposed to prove to people and convince christians to be faithful to the word of god and how can we convince people to become christians in the first place when we don't have such mighty abilities what great and mighty act did god give to us what is he left for us to do to convince people and to show and to confirm his word well, the answer, the answer became very clear. It's love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10 he says, Charity, which is love, never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. These miraculous abilities were going away, but love would never go away love would never fail he says for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when that which is perfect is come then that which is in part shall be done away even though those miracles have passed even though there's no uh these the, there's no mighty displays of the holy spirit and manifestations of the spirit as we see that they have in the first century we do have something that is a manifestation of the spirit and that is love the great act that God does for us and through us to prove that we are His people and prove to others that they should become His people is love. And so love is on par with everything we read about this morning, all those great miracles, the creation and the miracles and the acts that God did for the Israelites and the way He proved Himself to His people and to those, those uh, nations round about, the miracles that Christ did, the miracles the apostles did, the miracles the early church did. The miracle that we have to perform is love. And it's a great and mighty convincing act. In fact, love is everything. It is everything. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You know what he's saying? If I were to perform these great miracles, this great miracle of trying to convince somebody that's a non-believer, because we know that's what the sign of tongues was for. He says, if I were to use this great ability, but I did not have love, then I'm just noise, empty noise, like sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So if he could convince the unbelievers but have no love, it meant nothing. If he could understand all prophecy and convince those who were believers and had not love, didn't matter. It was empty. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Love is at the core of everything. It is everything. And in fact, when we think about it that way, we understand that all the miracles we read of of to this point show us that love is behind it all. Every act that God has, has done is done through love to show and to prove to his people that they should follow him and to show the people who are not his people that they should become his people and worship him, the true God. In fact, love is at the core of the, the commandments of God. That's the underlying foundation w- w- upon, all thing, uh, upon which all things sit. Mark chapter 12, verses 29-31, 12, And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, uh, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. these this love for God and love for fellow man, it's, it's the greatest thing that we could accomplish and do, because love is the basis of all of God's commandments. And in fact, Jesus actually added even a third great command uh, and added a, another dimension to this act of loving our neighbors, and that is to love one another, disciples. John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And so that means that We have a duty and a responsibility, a commandment from God, not only to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, not only to love our neighbor as ourselves, but to love our brothers and sisters the way Christ loved us and be willing to make deep, meaningful sacrifices on behalf of someone else so that they can be saved. Love is what we've been born into as Christians. That's what we belong to. 1 Peter 1, chapter 22 Peter said, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. When we were baptized into Christ, we were purified, our souls were purified in the obedience of, of that truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. We were born into a family. And the new birth makes us part of a, a bond of love and fellowship that surpasses all all comprehension really and he says see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently this is at the center of what god expects us to do as we carry out his commandments love and john says that actually in first john chapter 5 uh, verses 1 through 3 whosoever believeth that jesus is the christ is born of god and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him He is it's like we have been born into to this to our father and he says everyone who uh, Everyone who is of christ not only loves the person who made us born again But we also should love the people who have become born again everyone that is begotten of him By this we know that we love the children of god when we love god and keep his commandments This this is an inseparable relationship. You cannot love god and hate your brethren you cannot love your brethren and hate God. You must, you, we must do both, because love is the basis of all things. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandment is not grievous. It's all intended for, the, for our benefit. It's all intended for our good when we follow and comply with, with the Word of God. And that commandment is to love God, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to love our family the way Christ loved His family the church and so this action of love confirms God to our brethren it can build up our brethren it can help to make an, a deep impact on their faith when we display these, this kind of love look at what John says in 1 John 4 beginning in verse 7 he says beloved let us love one another for love is of God everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God he that loveth not Knoweth not God. If you don't have love, you don't have God. That's what he's saying. For God is love. And that's the reason that love is the underlying thing uh, for his commandments and that love is everything because God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. This was the great and mighty act that showed and confirmed to us that God loves us. He made a sacrifice, and and Christ made a sacrifice so that we could live through him. It was with purpose and with intention, and it was to lead us to life. And so that love is not just pointless and aimless. It it has a goal. He says, "Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins." Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. This passage confirms to us the great impact that we can have on the, the, the faith of our brothers and sisters. We see the example of God's love sacrificing, and we ought to take that same example and sacrifice for one another. And he says here in His love uh, that, that God laid down His life and that we ought to do that as, for one another as well. And I want to point out, as he says, no man has seen God at any time. Just like we read about in those verses of the creation. The creative things come from an, an, an invisible source. But what we can see is the evidence of that invisible source in the way we carry out our lives, in the way we interact with one another, in the way we treat one another. And so no man has seen God, but men can see God in us if we carry this, this kind of love with us and, and among ourselves and to other people people see the good works and and this is often manifested in good works and in the the sacrifices we will make for one another and you know I, i can't help but think about the the many examples of times when people were in great need in desperate need maybe having lost everything or maybe at the verge of losing their life And what a blessing it is to see when the family of God surrounds them and lifts them up in prayer or meets their physical needs, providing food or providing shelter or providing whatever it is they may need in order to continue on, in order to endure those great afflictions. That's a tremendous blessing. And people see the good works that are done. And importantly, they see the love of God shown through these acts. You know, it it impacts the people that are helped. It impacts the family and friends of the people who are helped. It impacts the neighbors of those who are helped and those who are served and loved. It impacts the church locally because it influences us and it encourages us and it inspires us to do more. And then the church around the brotherhood hears about these things and they're encouraged and they're lifted up and they're, they're brought to zeal to do more. And so love is just noise and broad to all. That's the greatest action that we could show to, that can resonate and go and make a wide-reaching impact, not only to us and to the people who are loved, but to everyone around. People are often impressed with the church. I've been in hospital waiting rooms where there's a whole group of church family that is there because we know and love one another as family. And the other people in the waiting room might have two or three people and they're just impressed. And the doctors and the nurses come, and they're impressed. They're like, is this all your family? And, well, everybody's like, yeah, we are. But then we have to explain, well, we're all, we're all church family. And they're just blown away by that. And so it, the, those acts of love resonate not only with the members of the church, but it resonates with people who are outside of the church. And that can help us to compel people and show them this love and invite them to come into the family of God. It's a, it's a powerful and very profound act that we should carry out. And I don't think that we often think of it that deeply, or I know I didn't. And, and think of it as on, on that scale and how tremendously amazing this power of love is. I want to show you an example of this in the early church. In Acts chapter 9, we read of a Christian woman named Tabitha. It says in Acts 9, verse 36, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deed, which she did. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to be, have your name inscribed in the pages of the New Testament for generations to come, to be influenced by your character. And what a wonderful example of a sister we have here in Dorcas. She was full of good works. And full of alms deeds. That means she was very generous and very giving. But she was sick and she died. And the disciples, they knew Peter was at Lydda, a, a town that was not too far from there. And so they they quickly sent to him and said, Please come, please come and help us. Because they knew they lost this dear sister. And Peter comes. <clears throat> And and <clears throat> He comes into the house where she was laying They had laid her body And I want you to notice What we see here about the Impact that this sister had made in the lives Of the people around her and the, the people That she served In Acts nine thirty nine, <clears throat> Excuse me Then Peter Rose and went with him and when he Was come they brought him into the upper chamber And all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and the garments which Dorcas made while she was with him. It it might seem like such a simple thing to make a coat for someone, to buy them a piece of clothing or to provide for some need that they might have, but I'll tell you, it means a lot to people. And it makes a huge impact in their life. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard of people who are members of the church say, the reason I'm here is because somebody cared about me. Love has a, a huge impact on people and can convince them to believe. And these widows are here with Dorcas weeping because she's passed. And they, they are so moved by the, the generosity that she shared for them. Now, there were Christians there, too, that were deeply moved and impacted by this. No doubt. <clears throat> Acts 9. and then Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body said, Tabitha, rise, and she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called, the saints and widows presented her alive, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Think about this short section of this story we have about this one disciple here in in this town of Joppa who was full of alms deed, full of good works, supported those widows, and loved the brethren. You know you know that this was a a high-quality Christian and very cared about and very loved. And when she dies, the people are very moved by this. And I want you to think, if this woman had not done these things, maybe Peter, imagine if Peter still came and raised her from the dead, but this woman had not done alms deeds and wasn't full of good works. And these widows wouldn't have been there and the church wouldn't have been encouraged. Do you think many people would have known? People would have known because of the, the miracle that was done. But do you think really people would have been moved? The way they were, it says it was noise abroad throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And it was all because of this woman's act of love. And the services she provided for those widows and those disciples. There's no telling how many she, she brought to Christ simply because of their care for her, because she cared for them. And so love is the way that we can honor God. Love is the way that we can encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. And love truly is the way that we can show the world that we are disciples of God and convince them of the great power of God Jesus said in John 13 34 a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another and so the great mighty act that we can do to show the evidence of God in our lives today is love. And what a, what a beautiful picture it paints when we of all kinds of, of, of backgrounds and experiences can humbly submit ourselves to, to the Word of God and treat each other like family and be there for one another like family and, and put up with one another like family and be loving and forgiving and kind and uplifting. You think that doesn't make a difference in the world? When they see that, people long for something like what we have. And, I, and, and really, this should help us appreciate more deeply what we belong to and, and have a, a greater desire to love one another. Uh, I know it's deeply impacted me, and I hope that it has for you as well. And so this morning, as we, as we come to a conclusion, uh, as, as, as you know we do, we offer an invitation song. Maybe you're here this morning, and you need the love of God in your life. Perhaps to, uh, to obey Him, of course, in baptism, that's always, uh, that's always what we want people to do because they have a love for God and for, and for His commandments. And if you believe in Christ and you want eternal life, then we invite you to come forward to let that request be made known and you can become part of this wonderful family that loves one another and cares for one another and has the love of God showing through our deeds each day. And maybe you're here this morning, and you feel like you're lacking in this love. You feel like perhaps there's more that you could do, and, and that produces guilt in us. That, that will produce a sense of guilt in us, because we know that there more, is more we ought to be doing. But well, we want to pray with you, and help you, and do whatever we can as family, not to shame or to... Uh, belittle anyone, but to lift them up and to encourage them and strengthen them so that we can all be encouraged together. So we ask that you come forward as we stand and sing this song. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.